morning, everybody. So glad that you are here to join us, especially if you're new here for the very first time. We know it's the fall. Some of you moved here this summer. You just kind of got settled into your house. Uh, you got your kids in school. You found where your dry cleaners are going to go. Uh, you found where you're going to shop for groceries, and now you're looking for a church. And for whatever reason, you stumbled into this place. We are just so grateful and overwhelmed that you would do so. There's so many great churches around here. And if you're watching online, there's so many great churches. You can be online, but you chose to be here with us. And it is humbling, it really is, uh, that you would give us the opportunity to be a part of your spiritual lives. And we would love to meet you and connect with you out in the crossing. Just say hello afterwards. And I know online uh, there's a team right there that would love for you to identify yourself so they can encourage you and pray with you what, whatever's going on in your life. I would encourage you to go ahead and find your Bibles, and get your phones open or your notes get, getting situated. I'd remind you every time you walk into worship, uh, there's a place back there at the back, a cart where you can get a Bible, grab it, uh, take it home with you if you do not have one. Uh, you can also get hard copy message notes there, or you can find them on the app. But we've just found that when people take notes, they seem to learn a little bit better. So, but you do however you want to. Now, we're getting settled in. I want to let you know that we have big, three big anniversaries coming up back to back to back to back here. Just kind of be thinking about it. Next weekend, I know we think about it, it's Halloween and All Hallows, All Saints Day, but it actually is the birthday of this thing we call the Protestant Church that 505 years ago, about next weekend, there was a man named Martin Luther who had these 95 ideas of how the church could be better. And so he goes and tacks and nails these 95 great ideas on the door of this church of Wittenberg. And there was this movement born called the Reformation, which you and I are a part of here in this church. Now, of all those 95 ideas, you kind of sum them up by, by five core ideas. And we're going to put them up here on the screen. So we live by Christ alone. We're saved by grace alone. We trust by faith alone. We're governed by scripture alone. And we live for the glory of God alone. So 505 years ago, last week, next weekend, this is kind of the core of some of the things that, that we believe here. Now, I want you to kind of let that kind of soak in. That the church of Jesus Christ that you and I are a part of has been in existence for some 2,000 years. The Protestant church has been in existence next week in about 505 years. A couple weeks after that here, we're going to celebrate Pathway Church again being 51 years old. And we've almost, can you believe, it's almost been one year that we moved into this place called the center. All these different celebrations. Hey, in fact, turn to somebody next to you and tell them how old you think they look. Just kidding. Just kidding. If you're married, really don't do that, okay? That, that was just a joke. Okay, uh, let's pray. God, we are thankful that you are above time and space, that you're not limited by time. You're not limited by space. You're not limited by our little ideas and understanding of who you are. And when we open up your word, God, your word, we're again reminded it surpasses all cultures and all generations and all nations that you speak a word for your children, sons and daughters of all colors, of all places from the walks of all ages, and that your word has power. Your word has transforming power. It changes reality. And so we pray, oh God, this morning as we open your word that you will speak into the reality of each of our lives that you will touch us in the very depths of our soul 
And that truly, God, your kingdom, what you're doing in heaven, not only would you do it on earth, God, but you would do it in us, in our hearts, and in our minds. Have your way with us by your spirit, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, now what, uh, the question I'm kind of raising this morning is, what do you do beginning, what do you do when you have a difficult neighbor? Anybody besides me ever had a, a really difficult neighbor? Okay. Yeah, some of you want to raise your hand because you know they're you're close by. They worship with you. Yeah, I, I remember years ago, Dallas and I, we had a really, really, really difficult neighbor. And this neighbor just loved to get mad about anything and irritated about anything other folks in the neighborhood did or didn't do. And she would look through her, her kitchen window and observe the neighborhood. And if you had a tree growing in your yard that got too big and obstructed her sight, sight lines, she was ticked. And she would get upset about noise coming out of people's houses that shouldn't happen, garbage cans not getting off the street back up to the garage. I mean, she just so easily angered. I recall one time our house actually really, really needed a cosmetic lift. Uh, we needed some paint on the outside. It was looking a little worn, a little tired, as houses can do. And so we went and saved up some money, found the paint, and repainted the outside of our house. And she did not like the color scheme that we selected. And she said that your house now has violated the spiritual tranquility of our neighborhood. I did not know that neighbors could ha neighborhoods could have a spiritual tranquility, but it really upset her tranquility. Uh, one time she called our house and left a message on the answer machine. You remember the old-fashioned answer machines that were actually on the bar, probably in the kitchen nearby where a hard life people were. And so you could listen to it over and over and over again, which we, I did and I shouldn't have, because she called and she was angry. Something about our yard and something about our boys being a little bit too rowdy and loud. Now, I will tell you, when she said that, I kind of reached an apex of my short-temperedness with her, and I just wanted to cloud up and rain all over. I just wanted to go over there and knock on that door and let her have it. And then I remember what Jesus said. He said, love your neighbor. And he also said, love your enemy, which she was quickly becoming. And so I realized that the only way this woman was going to receive love and peace and tranquility from the Owen household if Dallas called and talked to her. <laughs> because I just couldn't do it. I mean, I, I, I just couldn't do it. And I, I began to learn something about myself. Is that I really enjoyed being irritated with this woman's irritating ways. Think about that. I really was enjoying the irritability I felt about this woman's anger issues that I thought she had. And so I'm in my quiet time, and I'm realizing, you know what? I don't love this woman. I don't even want to love this person. Don't want to. And in my quiet time with God, as I'm kind of working through this, God speaks to me very clearly in my spirit. He says, Rick, that woman's not the problem. You are your problem. You and I tend to divide the world up into people who have really had problems and then normal people like you and me who don't. Jesus divides the world up into people who really, really have problems, and they know they have problems, and people who really, really, really have problems but don't think they have any. This weekend, Jesus is addressing the issue of anger, a very big issue that we have in our society and in our world. 
And he's going to talk to us what it looks like to have this surpassing goodness, this surpassing righteousness when it comes with this subject. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching you and me what it looks like to be a good person. What it looks like to be a person who's surpassing the goodness of everybody else. And he begins with this conversation on anger. So we're about to read something from the scriptures that I will tell you is a very just straightforward word. It's not complex. It might be confusing to you a little bit, but once you hear it, hopefully by the end you go, okay, I get it. But it's challenging. Listen to what he says. Chapter 5, verse 21. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone says, you fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who takes you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. And truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Anger is the universal human problem. Nobody escapes having this issue. In the ancient world, they did not have police. They did not have defense attorneys. They did not have these, these cameras that was watching everything to capture the, the wrong things that people do and then post. They didn't have that. The rich and the powerful got away with almost anything they wanted in the ancient world. So when you read the Old Testament and you see all these laws, the laws of the Old Testament in large respect to protect the weak from those who had no guidelines. So Jesus right here, in this case, is starting a conversation about anger. And he says, you shall not murder. You've heard that it was said in the Old Testament, don't murder. So don't do that. But I'm also telling you, whoever's angry with a brother or sister. But it starts with, don't murder. Now, back in that day and time, if there was someone who unjustifiably was killed, you would have in your family tree somebody that was called a blood avenger. And the blood avenger would go out and hunt the person down who committed the crime and they could execute them on the spot. And the blood avenger in your family was usually the fastest, the toughest, the strongest, looking right here, kind of like a Van Diesel uh, or The Rock. You, know, you probably all have a family member like this in your family. That was their job. And in the ancient world, this was a huge step towards justice. Thou shalt not murder. Just don't do it. But like we human beings do, we start finding ways to rationalize stuff. And so what's going on in the world before Jesus shows up, people say, okay, there's a good person and there's a bad person. There's a person who doesn't murder, good person, and a person who does murder, bad person. And then Jesus shows up. And he says, let's talk about anger. 
Not, not just about the killing of someone, but about anger. The universal human problem. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is redefining what a good person looks like, how a good person lives. And he begins with talking about anger. Then he talks about our sexuality. Then he talks about uh, relationships between husband and wife and family relationships. Then he talks about our word, and he talks about our honesty in our word. But he begins with talking about anger. Because anger is the number one violator of our spiritual wealth and well-being. If you look at the Bible from the beginning to the end, from the beginning you have Cain and Abel. And then you have Jacob and Esau. You have Joseph and his brothers. You go all the way through into the New Testament where you have the Pharisees getting so angry with Jesus and we know what the end result there is. And then you look into our world, the world in which you and I live right here today. And if you were to go and check out, according to the National Center of Domestic Violence, on this earth today, every minute, 20 people are violently, physically abused by an intimate partner, someone who knows them well, often even ending into murder. The vast majority of wrongdoing in our nation that we're experiencing right now and in all many of our families, the root cause is anger that spins out of control. If you and I could eliminate anger off of the face of the earth, we would eliminate one of the number one causes for human misery. Now, why? Why is such an anger a problem for some of us? Why? And for all of us, it is. We've been learning about Jesus bringing us the good news when we started this whole series. That Jesus is saying, I'm going to bring what I'm doing in heaven down to earth. My goal is not just to get you into heaven. My goal is to get up there, flip the script, and get heaven into you. That's the goal. The kingdom of God in heaven being the kingdom of God on earth. That's the good news. And you and I have learned that you and I each have our own little kingdom. Your kingdom is your will, the free will that God has given you. That is your kingdom. Your, your will is your ability to choose, to make choices, to create, to initiate. Your will is energy, which allows you to get stuff done. But it also is connected to your anger. In your notes, number one, anger begins as a response to my threatened will. Anger is your will saying, somebody is getting in the way of what I little kingdom wants to accomplish. Somebody is blocking what I need to do or what I believe is right. See, your anger is not only energy, your anger is negative energy. And its purpose is to put you in alert that something is wrong and to mobilize you to correct what is a violation to your kingdom. And what naturally happens to you when you feel like somebody's violating your kingdom, you want to harm them. 
That's our natural reaction. So I'm in my office, and I got a meeting I got to get to off campus. And I look at my watch, and go, man, I'm going to be late. And I'm wearing at the door, and I notice I have a shoelace untied. So I bend down to tie the shoelace, and I yank so hard in a hurry, I break the shoelace. And the first thing out of my mouth is, you stupid shoelace. Now, we all know, shoelaces can't be stupid because they can't be intelligent. There's, we have smart TVs and we have smartphones. We don't have smart shoelaces. Doesn't exist. And yet somehow in that moment, the anger spilled out of me and I wanted to destroy and hurt that shoelace because it thwarted my will and slowed me down from accomplishing what I wanted to accomplish. Here's the problem. And this is why so many of us in the room get angry. You live in a world that is not designed to satisfy your little kingdom. To what you think the way the world needs to be and operate and just to adjust to you. And that's why so many of us get so angry. I grew up sixth grade learning how to play golf. I love golf and I learned something about golfers. Golfers are really great, notorious for getting angry. And they just don't get angry at themselves. They get angry at their clubs. They want to destroy them. They want to crush them. They want to break them. They want to throw them away. Because the problem is not them. The problem is those stupid clubs. It's got to be the problem. There was this guy in a car, he's going to a meeting. And along the way, he has a blowout. Comes over to the side of the road, he has to. Rips up, checks, he finds out he doesn't have a spare. All of a sudden, he just explodes in fury. Gets out the tire iron to change the car and breaks out all the windows of his car, just crushing them in fury. Reaches into the console of his car, takes out a pistol, shoots out the other three tires, gets another clip and unloads it into the car. The officer on the scene showed up and wrote it up as an auto side. <laughs> you see, you, you and I get, get caught up in these situations of anger. And the number one cause of anger is not shoelaces and it's not golf clubs and not cars. Can someone tell me what is the number one source of anger? It's humans. It's people. And after a while, here's what happens. Not do I just want to harm this stupid shoelace, and it's not just I want to break these stupid clubs, and not I just want to do like this stupid car. I want to hurt that stupid person. They're just stupid. And the natural thing that happens within that is that you have this desire to almost kind of bring harm to another person. See, the problem, the problem, the reason Jesus does this, Jesus really doesn't care about my emotions getting out of whack. That's not the issue. It's me getting fired up. That's not the issue. The issue is not that my little will's being thwarted and I'm not getting life the way I think the world ought to be. The problem Jesus has is so I get to a point where my anger becomes so much that I want to bring harm and hurt and for another person. In fact, that's number two in your notes. This is how anger escalates. It escalates to my will to harm others. I want somebody else to pay. 
I want them to be embarrassed. I want them to feel it and know that what they did was wrong. Now, please hear this. In the kingdom of God, it is never okay, according to Jesus, for you and me to will the harm for another human being. It is never okay. And that is why Jesus is so concerned about anger here and why he's so bold in what he says. Because anger is the fundamental problem that erupts in causing so much of the chaos that we have in our families, in our nation, and in the world. And so he says very clearly and directly, you've heard that it was said, don't murder. Anyone who murders, anyone who does it, you're subject to judgment. Not only that, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister, anyone, will also be subject to judgment. Now, the word he uses for anger here is the word of intense anger. In the Greek, it is orgismo. That's where you and I get the word orgy. He's talking about this out of control, outside the boundaries orgy of anger. And I want you to notice he used the same words, identical words, to talk about murder that he talks about anger. He says, if you murder someone, you'll be subject to judgment. And he says that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be subject to judgment. And you go, really? You're giving out the same sort of judgment for murder and anger. Really? It sounds like that's an impossible bar to reach. And so many people over time have thought, you know what? That's not really what Jesus is saying. Justifying, rationalizing. You know, surely some people thought that Jesus is just talking to the Jews. That the whole Sermon on the Mount is for the Jewish people because he came to be king, but they didn't see it. They didn't realize it, so they wanted to be a part of it. And so he's giving them an ethic on how to handle each other after he is gone. That is not true. That is not what the scripture is about. Some people think that Jesus really didn't mean any kind of anger. He just meant unjustified anger. Because after all, there is a, such a thing as righteous indignation that should be okay, right? Right? So he couldn't have meant any kind of anger. Now, it's interesting. Some, some of you know this, that back in the day of Jesus, they had no printing presses. And so after he res res resurrects and all these letters are being written, if they're going to reproduce these letters, scribes reproduce the letters by hand. And sometimes a scribe would get to a point and say, you know what? I'm not sure that's exactly what Jesus said. And they had a little footnote into the scripture. In fact, we're going to show you my Bible because some of your Bibles have it, some don't. Now at the very footnote in my Bible, it says, some manuscripts say a brother or sister without cause. That's the kind of anger. I mean, without cause. If you have cause, if you're justified, it's okay to be angry. And so the thought is that some scribe was copying the scripture and going, no, gee, he couldn't have said just any kind of anger. He must have been just kind of, sort of any sort of anger, but righteous indignation. There's justifiable anger because there's cause for it. So, and so you're write that down. But that's not what Jesus says. That's not true. That's wrong. That's not true. Some people think that Jesus is just trying to push the law of Moses really, really high. To say, you know what? It's so high, the law of Moses, it's impossible for anyone to obey Jesus. 
As long as you have the right theology about Jesus, as long as you have the right doctrine about Jesus, you don't have to worry about obeying and doing what Jesus says. No, 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 no. That's not what the scripture is saying. The number one danger of anger is that we like it and we enjoy it and it gives us power and gives us energy and we feel superior over people because of our anger. It's not simple. It's simple. It's not complicated. It's not complex. Jesus is saying, don't get angry. You too will be Judged, you have never met a humble, angry person. Anger feeds vanity. Anger feeds power. It is the source of so much of the human sin. And the point God is saying that in the kingdom of God, it is Jesus made. It is never okay to will the harm of another person. Never. It's not okay. God has this capability of being judged and discerning that someone's doing something that is evil. And God has the capability to back up and to look at this person and to know that some of this is because of how they were raised, the genetics. Some will say in the home in which they will live, that's part of the problem. Some, he can say, it's part of just their choice. And God can look at all that at the same time and still will the good for another person. But when I, human being, sinful person, give in to anger, when I indulge it and just kind of, you know what I do? I just want to will the harm for the other person. And anytime I don't will the good for another person, God judges that as evil in me because I am worried about my will being done instead of surrendering to God's will being done, which is to always work for the good of another human being. Thirdly, my anger progresses. It becomes contempt that leaks out of my soul. Jesus goes on and he talks about how this leaks out. It says right there in the second part of verse 22, Raka is answerable to the court. He says, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, hey, you got to answer the court. That is the Sanhedrin. Anyone says, you fool, you will be in danger of the fires of hell. Now that word Raka, that word was considered an insult. That when you say it, Raka, it's like you're about to spit on somebody. And spitting on someone was a gesture of contempt. And contempt was the language of filth, where you would say, you lousy piece of... And all of a sudden, just this natural flow of stuff just comes out, rock a fool you. That's what contempt does for other people. It leaks out of your soul. Now, some of you right now, you're, you're hearing this and reading, you're going, Yo, whew, I'm relieved. I don't have any anger issues. I don't yell. I don't explode. I don't curse. I don't send any nasty emails. I don't put stuff out on Facebook. I don't do any of that stuff. Oh, you naive little person. We have infinite number of ways that you and I communicate anger. The way I speak to someone the way I don't speak to someone. 
the way I look at someone, the way I don't look at someone. The way I touch someone, the way I don't touch someone. Sarcasm. Sabotage. Withdrawing. even out of fear, placating someone can be just as dangerous as exploding out in wrath. Here's the point. Jesus is not trying to give you and me another set of rules. Hey, listen, just do whatever you want to do. Just don't murder somebody. Don't say raka. Don't say fool. But everything else, you can do it. Just just follow this rule. He's not saying that. He is saying when you choose to live in the reality of the kingdom of God, it is never okay, never allowed to will the harm and the good for another human being. That your aim is for your heart to be full of love, to be transformed by the full presence of God himself who is love. That's the point. That's where he's trying to take us. And he gives us a picture of it. This is what it looks like. It's what it looks like. You're not going to, you're not going to be angry. You're not going to hurt bad things to happen to somebody. And you're not going to just kind of gush out, gush out, gush out. Just rock up, fool stuff. And then he gives us some positive things to do. How do I live in the kingdom when I feel angry? In your notes, number one, make reconciliation of a broken relationship a higher priority than doing something religious. He says right there in verse 23, he said, if you're going to worship, you're going to do something religious. You're going to go do something. You're going to go pray. You're going to go tie. You're going to read your, before you ever do that, if you become aware that someone holds something against you, they may be right. They may be wrong. It may be a combination of the two. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who's right and who's wrong. That if there's something somebody holds against you, you go and be reconciled to them first because that's what love would do. That's what God would do. I was flying down to McCallum, Texas. I was going down there back and forth in one day to encourage our mission team who's going back and forth across the Rio Grande, ministering to people over there in Mexico, right there in the middle of the cartel. And I have my tickets, and I'm going down to the airport. I go to the wrong airport. I didn't buy the tickets. Somebody did. They got to set it up for me. I go to DFW. I'm supposed to be at love. Can I tell you, I was feeling the urgency. I'm going to miss my flight. And I just started welling. I felt the pressure. So I hurry over to love, and every, every parking lot is full. I park 10, 15, 20, 30 miles. It must have been 30 miles away. It must have been. It was a half hour I had, and I thought, I'm never going to make it. So I have to run like OJ. Remember those Hertz commercials of OJ running? I had to run. I just have this gas. I'm running. I'm running through the parking lots. I'm running into the terminal. And then the line of security is so blooming long. But I'm thinking, no problem. I'll just go up to the front. I'll tell the head security dude why I'm going, and they'll just let me to the front and go in. No bueno. Back of the line, buddy. I walked back the line going, you imbecile. Don't you know the work I have to do? I got so many important things. And so I get to the back of the line, and it's a long line. And all these people in front of me, they were the most self-centered people I've ever been around. (laughs) They had no sense of urgency. 
They brought their kids with them. And the kids were playing around and they were talking and having fun with each other, you know. They were just kind of lollygagging, taking their time. They weren't even getting their laptop out ready to put their laptop to the screen. They, they actually wore shoes you had to tie and untie. To go through. They actually had belts that you had to take off and unbuckle. And I'm going, haven't you ever planned before to go to an airport? Don't you know, you imbeciles, I cannot believe. And I realized in that moment, I saw every one of those people as an obstacle to my little kingdom. Anybody ever done that? I'm a pastor going on a mission trip. (laughs) Are you seeing the conflict? (laughs) And out of my mouth came nothing but my eyeballs, raka, raka, fool, 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 fool. I know you've never done that. And the problem for me is it's not just when I'm under pressure. That the way I live my life, I I work out hard, I work hard, I live hard, I do with intensity. And I just notice other people don't work out and live and work the way I do. And I get sometimes kind of a little little riled up if they're not keeping up on the same pace and blah, 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 blah. Does anybody have that issue besides me? You may know what I'm talking about. The invitation of Jesus this morning is not to grit your teeth and suck it up and just do it the right way. The invitation of Jesus is to die to your ego. That's the invitation. To die to your kingdom of self and the world operating around you the way you want it. That's the invitation of Jesus. To die to your kingdom of realizing you're not in charge of any line going faster. I had to recognize I was not in charge of airport. I was not in charge of traffic. I was not in charge of that line. All I could do was to step into the reality of the kingdom, and so I did. And I started playing with the kids. I started messing with the children. I started meeting their parents, noticing their shirts, what they were going, where they were doing, the hats they wore. And I said, hey, helping them. Could I help you move a little quicker by helping you get that bag up there? Oh, that's good. And it was a total different experience. And I got to tell you, I'm, I made my flight. I made my flight. I made it. Barely, just in time, but I made it. But can I tell you, if I would have missed my flight, I don't think God would have needed any Tylenol. And I don't think God's kingdom would have been thwarted and the world would have collapsed. But that's the way I was living. See, when I allow myself to live in the kingdom of God, I cease to be attached to my will being done, and I give up things going exactly the way I want them to go. That's what life looks at without anger in the kingdom of God. Now, quick point here. I know that some people who choose to follow God's word, you will try to go seek reconciliation before you do something religious, which is what the word says. And I acknowledge that can be complex. Sometimes it takes a long time. Sometimes it takes years. And sometimes the other person has such a hard heart and hard head. You know what I'm talking about? You got a person in your life, a troubled ex, You got somebody at work. You got somebody out there in Facebook world. 
and it's just not getting resolved. But here's my concern for some of you. You are justifying. You are justifying not seeking reconciliation. And love seeks to reconcile. Love seeks wills because God is always working to reconcile with you. Yes, I know. I know. You have people in your life. But can I tell you, just from the bottom, with love in my heart, can I say this? If you're not seeking reconciliation, I don't care who the person is. It may just be a, a, will, a generous spirit. You are not being obedient to Jesus. Don't be kidding yourself. You're not following Jesus. Because he says very clearly, be reconciled to one another. You do your part, even if they don't participate. Second thing we do, we initiate genuine kindness to my adversary. That's what we do. Jesus gives us an illustration right there in verse 25. He says, suppose you got to go to court. You go to court. Somebody's going to take you over legal battle, some sort of legal issue. Maybe it's a big financial issue. Somebody's going to shaft you something. He says, verse 25, settle matters quickly. So he says, settle matters quickly. Kind of reinterpret those words, the Greek words that he's using there. He's saying, make him a friend. That's really what he's saying. Make this person a friend. Be kind to them and try to find out things you can do for them. And church, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know there are some people in your life, you, you just, you just, they just get under your skin. And that's why you pray for them and you ask God to help you. Because on your own, you will never do it. It is only by the power of the love of God in you that you have a chance of doing something kind for him. And maybe God doesn't even give you anything, but you seek God for it to be a blessing unto them. Jesus is painting a picture of what a person looks like who is surpassing the righteous of the Pharisees, that someone in their thought life, in their mind, in their habits, in their speech, they are seeking to will the good for other people, even people who are against them. Like Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. For thirdly, be intentional about what I feed my mind. Our culture will feed your mind to make you mad. Be aware of the merchants of outrage. You and I are living in a political season where people just want to get you mad against the other person. I have friends who have stopped listening to all political talk radio and all political TV stations and apps that are just so focused on their side of the deal. Because all they want to do is get you mad. Just get you riled up and mad. I know of a person on the left who said, hey, if you go to a church, if you go to be invited, you go to a church where the pastor does not talk about social justice, you go find another pastor in another church. On the other side, the right, if you go to church and the pastor brings up social justice, you leave that church and go find another pastor in another church. Let me give you some advice. Stop listening to both of them. Just stop it. It's not fueling anything but rage and anger about the way things are, and it doesn't help anything. 
Listen to what Jesus has to say. Verse 41, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. Listen to what Jesus has to say. Not all these pundits who just want to brainwash you. And be aware of what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. And in the Roman soldier, they, they, they could force you in the Roman law to carry, they could force you to carry their backpack one mile, but at the end of the mile, you could drop it. He's saying that when you're in the mile, you say, hey, can I carry it further for you? I know you're my enemy. I know politically and religiously, you want to wipe me out. Could I carry it for you? This week, find somebody who believes the opposite of you, religiously and politically. And allow the words of Jesus to speak into your heart and not make you mad, but just bless them. And here's the final thing. Reflect on the cross. Reflect on the cross. This is how you handle your anger in the kingdom of God. Because the cross reminds us there's a great battle going on between good and evil. There's a great battle going on between love and anger. And anger tells you it's okay. It's okay to want someone to get it. See, that is why almost all evil begins with anger. And that's why Jesus starts with anger. The battleground for good and evil and love and anger is in here. It's not out there. It's in here. So this week, when your little will gets thwarted, and can I get, tell you to get ready? Your little kingdom will get thwarted. <laughs> it will and when that happens, I encourage you to stop and to back up and to surrender and say to God, God, not my will, your will be done. In me for this other person. In me for this other person. And I will tell you, when you surrender and you allow your heart to be transformed, by the one whose name is love, who speaks grace and truth, but together you can live in the abundance of the kingdom and not just have to grit your teeth trying to push through all the stuff that goes on in the world. And you will know freedom like you've never known before. You focus on the cross and grace because the cross wins. The cross wins. Martin Luther he had 95 anger issues. He really struggled with them. And he was so messed up by this guilt of all the anger and stuff he had about going on in the church and things in the world. But one day, finally, he was just wrecked by the grace of God. He was just wrecked by God's grace. And it began to change his heart on the inside. It wasn't this modification of, of behavior. Can I tell you something? Behavior modification is eaten up for breakfast by your sin. Your sin will leak out. Your anger will leak out. It's, not about, it's about a transformed heart. And he got so wrecked by grace, it just changed his heart. And he's praying, and the devil shows up in his prayer life. Keeps reminding him of all of his sins, of all of his sins. And Martin Luther didn't say, no, that's not true, devil. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. He didn't live in denial. He said, hey, devil, bring it on. Don't you got more? Come on, bring it on. There's got to be more than that. Keep writing down more sins. Surely I did more than that. And the devil said, I bet you did. The devil started looking and wrote down more sins and more sins and more sins. And finally the devil said, that's all. And Martin Luther said to the devil in his journal, 
He said, you get a bread pen and you write down all over those list of sins that the blood of Jesus, the Son of God, has cleansed every one of the sins of Martin Luther because the cross wins. Grace alone. Grace alone. Grace alone. So this week, don't you let anger win. Don't you get sucked into it. You allow the cross of Jesus Christ win the battle inside of you. And when someone comes up against you, whatever it may be, politically, religiously, at work, relationally, in your family, your ex, your kids, that neighbor, grace alone. Love wins because of the cross of Jesus Christ. His mercy, his goodness. I want to invite you to sit, sit there just for a second. Just kind of, kind of breathe. Be mindful of some places in your life where anger is spilling out in your life, in your family, in your workplace. And just kind of receive here for a second before you walk out. Was the cross meant for me that my Savior carried on then made Receive the mercy. Thank you, God, for your mercy. Thank you, God, for your kindness. Thank you, God, for your grace for us, a sinful, broken people. So quickly lash out. Raka, raka, fool, fool. Get caught up in creating enemies, dividing people. Just forgive us, God, for being a part of the problem. We want to be a part of the solution, God. So, God, this week, will you just fill our lives with the cross, with the mercy and the grace of Jesus, and not just in us, but to flow out of us naturally, that people would know that we are a people who have surrendered our will to the will of the one who died on the cross. Was the cross meant for me and my Savior carried on by the mercy of God? Was that great meant for me where my sin In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.